everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast, Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink. My name's John Casillo, and with me as always is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, ACC Tournament Happy Week. Happy ACC Tournament Week, indeed. We have been able to put to rest a regular season that I would once again like to forget for the how many it's straight year. It's getting exhausting, Dan. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'd like to do better than two and, what is it, two and six to end two the and year? Four to, uh, two and four to end the year for the last seven seasons. Oh, it's two, two of the last six, yeah. If we could like maybe get like a third win at some point this uh, this decade century, I, yeah, baby steps. That. Let's start with three and three in the final six, and then see if we can get to four and two maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just yeah, a little it, bit. It's been pretty rough. Um, uh, I'm not loving it. I I kind of felt like it was definitely going to happen <laughs> the the second I wrote the article again this year, and the wins didn't come exactly where I thought they were going to, but nonetheless. Here we are once again. We are short of 20 wins. We are on track for another 14-loss season um, in all likelihood. Unless we win one of the ACC or NCAA tournaments. I'll take the yes. second one, please. If we're picking and, if we're picking and choosing. Yeah. If we have to. But uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me exactly, but uh, I believe the last four or five years make up like nearly every 14-loss season Jim Beheim's ever had here. Yeah, I think that's. I think we set the record for losses the year we went to the Somehow. final four. I think so. Yeah, I mean, it. It. I, part of it's that the seasons right. are a lot longer now um, than they were when he started, and you have like extra tournament games and et cetera, et cetera. But still, not great considering, you know, we were not accustomed to losing double-digit games really ever until this recent sure. stretch. All right. So uh, speaking of losses, why don't we get into the most recent one? Um, Syracuse came out looking awful against Clemson. However, yeah, yeah, awful Awful on offense, offense. but on defense looked pretty fantastic. Clemson missed their first 13 shots from the field. Uh, They shot seven of 28 in the first half. It was pretty woeful showing from the Tigers on offense. Really defensively, they didn't do much against Syracuse in the first half. I really thought Syracuse just had no idea what it was doing with the basketball. Um, O'Shea Brissett driving the lane for once was kind of the uh, lone source of, of, of offensive output. In the second half, uh, for what was the fourth time in fi- five games, everything just kind of blew up, um, and SU got absolutely you know run off the floor. Uh, Clemson outscored them forty-three to twenty-four in the second half to win game sixty-seven to fifty-five. I don't want to extrapolate it out too much with the second half woes. But at the same, because they were all, a bunch of the games were on the road, a bunch of the games were against NCAA tournament teams, three of them were against one seed caliber teams. At the same time, there's obviously something wrong with the Syracuse team in the second half, and I'm not exactly sure what changes for them from an offensive standpoint. Yeah, it's tough to know if it's just teams adjusting to the zone in the second half, which I think is part of it. I mean, Clemson could, literally could not, they scored their first field goal, what, six or seven minutes yeah. into the game. And uh, they blew up for 43 points in the second half, which is like a really good output against its own. Um, I think part of it is adjustments, and teams teams have done that. But we've seen in years past with, with these good Syracuse defensive teams that, you know, we are also able to adjust and keep teams from getting super hot. Um, this, at the same time, the offense just goes in these giant craters. And I do think some of the – when when other teams start storing, I think we start pressing a lot. We saw that in the uh, – what was the game before? Uh, the Virginia game where, you know, Virginia got – lights out hot and we were never going to beat them with the app that they put on offense but at the same time our offense completely fell apart because a uva is a great defense but also we started taking these very early in the jump uh, early in the shot clock jumpers 
we weren't like really running anything. We were trying to match them, and that's never going to be uh, a winning formula for this team, um, especially in the half court. So uh, a lot of issues you could point to in this one. The fact that I think the only guys who played well were O'Shea, which was nice. I thought he played one of his better games of the year, um, and Buddy, who is weirdly like one of our most consistent players, probably. And I, I actually think Sidibe uh, uh, had a you know a really nice outing for for an unexpected. Well, one we were running offense for uh, filling which in. Was horrifying. Like not that I didn't like what we saw, but I think it was horrifying that we had to run offense for him. Yeah, and I thought most of the, like for the most part, aside from when he got swallowed up under the basket, which happens, you know, and it's pretty much all of our centers. Um, I thought he looked good, and if that's a thing, a side of things to come, and we can, you know, put him in there for Pascal and get some different looks, that's good. But overall, like I thought, Frank was Frank was horrible. Bad, bad, bad uh, Frank Elijah showed up in a way that I like. I I know it's been bad it was, all season, like in in spurts, but never like for a full. I mean, Frank was just throwing the ball away. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. The the turnovers were, and this has not been a very turnover prone yeah. team um, this year. Like generally, I think we're, I think we have the lowest turnover, uh, the best turnover yeah, margin in the ACC. At least we did entering the team. We had 18 in this team. That's horrendous, especially for a team that's not. Well, that were unforced before. errors. It was yeah, it was really bad. And Clemson is a good defense. They were they're, I think going into the game they were top 10 in Ken Palm. So like it's not like Clemson's not talented on that end of the ball, but it's I mean we 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 handled this team earlier in the year and we looked like the better team. I don't know it was at the dome, but it was just a, a total turnaround, and that that's very disconcerting because you know we had been playing pretty well against these kind of teams, the teams that were in our tier and below it, and. And we made Clemson, especially on defense, look like they were just a much better team than I think they are. Not not to take credit away from them. No, I, I completely agree. And like you look at, like right now, we have the resume advantage um, by way of just some better wins and, and one more conference win. But like realistically, like you know, Clemson's in our our tier in the ACC this year, and we should be able to beat them. We have beaten them. Losing by twelve to me is like pretty unacceptable, even on the road to a team like Clemson, just because of how, especially because of how well we looked in the first half, like. And, and just how bad things kind of fell apart in that second. I mean, yeah, having having a team outscore you by 19 in the second half is not a, at all um, what this team should be about, I think, especially, again, a team like Clemson. I know you started talking about Elijah Hughes, another guy who just absolutely, you know, fell apart um, in this one. Only played 11 minutes. He was 0 for 2 from the floor. Four rebounds, amazingly tied for the, well, Tied for the lead among non-O'Shea Brissett players. On the boards, we were god-awful in this game. Uh, what I didn't understand, like, I, I, I know that, like, sometimes the zone just kind of lends to this. But what I didn't understand in this one was, with everyone running back all the time to get reset in the zone, which, fine, how is it that not only were we not getting rebounds, but then Clemson was also blowing by the defense on the other end? Like, I, I think it's either I think it's an either-or thing. It can't be both. Yeah, you, you can kind of make your defense what you want it to be in terms of either you're going to, like, really focus on crashing the boards or you're going to try to leak out and make some extra, like, get some extra fast break opportunities and one-on-ones. But you can't, like, totally fail on all all things where you're you're both not getting rebounds and you're not creating extra opportunities. And that's basically what the second half looked like. Um, and, and honestly, like... Uh, we you know we finished the first half up seven, but we probably could we probably should have known uh, better about things when Clemson didn't store. I'm looking they, their first field goal came at 14-16 in the first half. We were up four nothing, so it just it, we we didn't take advantage of the defense looking really good when it did, and then once the defense started to struggle, the offense somehow got worse, and just it's it's been such a a constant theme of this team. These games that they lose by double digits, they just totally crater and have and have such they really struggle to find themselves once the struggles come. In-game adversity, for whatever reason, is a, 
a major issue, um, except for like the Duke game. That's oh, the Georgetown game too. Where... The Georgetown game, okay. Yeah, a century ago. ago. But um, no, you, you're totally right, though. There was a couple games where we, we were able to triumph over adversity, um, and there's been a bunch where we just completely fold, and I don't really... I don't really understand the extent of what happened here, especially when you look at, like, you know, Clemson shot terribly from three, which is usually a hallmark of a team that at least, like, challenges us. They went 5 of 24 from outside. Uh, They shot, you know, 34% from the field. That was worse than we did. They were able to rebound us, though. They still turned the ball over a ton. There's just, you know, you're right. There's this inability to deal with adversity. You You saw players coming unglued, like with each other in the huddle with Beheim, like there was just so much there was so much body language and there was so much out like so many outward pieces of evidence that said that like this team isn't necessarily as even keeled as previous ones despite the fact that this is pretty much last year's team that is a super veteran group i mean looking at the the lineup you have two two seat well ties in the senior but in college right. basketball terms i think once you hit like your second semester of your junior year you're basically a senior so like two guards who played a ton of of, of basketball in battle and howard chuku who's a who's a, a senior and is going to be moving on uh o'shea who's played a lot of basketball in two years elijah's a, uh in his third year in college like these are these are veteran players who you'd think, and we talked about earlier in the year when it seemed like they were pretty unflappable, especially on the road. Even if they weren't winning, they were playing you know pretty good basketball, and that's really uh, I mean this game especially. Um, there was like you know you saw Battle walking away from Beheim in the one clip, and and who knows how often that happens and we don't see it, but the stuff that we saw from from the team in terms of body language, like you said, was very disconcerting. Yeah, I I know another thing that people were trying to continually. I mean, this is just I think a common all fan thing but Syracuse fans love to point out the free throw disparities SU shot 17 free throws made 13 which is actually a better clip than normal for them uh Clemson shot 30 free throws made 24 I mean I agree at some points like the refs do get whistle happy in the ACC the UNC game I thought was yeah. a lot worse than this we weren't no but it, it, the, the big problem I have here is it's not necessarily like soft fouls it's dumb fouls and like I, I do think that there's a certain amount of onus that gets on our big men because, like, like I love the scrappiness that, that Dolajai will play with. I love that Sidibe will go out, go after a ball. I love that Chuk will really sacrifice himself to get a ball. But the problem is uh, they fall for every single ball fake, and, and they all are, are very willing to throw themselves into just, just into oncoming traffic. And, and, and Dolajai is the only one who really understands anything about, like, smart contact. I feel like everybody, though, in general, all of our bigs um, are unfortunately just really don't pick their spots in terms of fouls. And that's how you get, you know, Chuku's situation where he had two fouls early. Dolajai's typical situation where he racks up at least three to four fouls a night. I, I think that that's something that somehow has gotten worse this year um, over the course of the season. If you want to look at why the free throw thing happened, I mean, Clemson seemed to figure that out very quickly in the second half that SU had no idea how to. Um, initiate smart contact and they just abused us under the uh, under the board to the rest of the the game because again five or 24 from three so this was this was an atypical type of game for for Syracuse opponent and the ACC at least um, in a win in that they they really did abuse us down low get to the free throw line a lot and really not have to rely on an outside shooting effort yeah I mean I thought they they in the second half especially Elijah Thomas who missed a lot of the first half um, was an absolute bull in the inside for them. A little too uh, much, so a, a couple of contact. times. But, yeah, but, no, yeah no, overall, but, but your point stands. There was a physicality gap there where he is he is just so much 
more filled out than any of our big men, and he took advantage of it. And then Marquise Reed, who was their best player, who was complete, who was basically a non-factor in the first half. I think he had yeah. maybe four points. Um, finished with 24, and he was just getting into the lane. He was hitting those mid-range jumpers. He was hitting floaters. He got to the line a bunch. Um, he just found like a, a different level in the second half, uh, and he got to the line eight times and was perfect from there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think maybe you could say like there was a little bit more contact than you usually see. They were definitely letting them play more. But there, well, this wasn't like the UNC game where, where UNC was dead in the line. Anytime anything happened, I thought this, like, I didn't even notice the disparity just because it, it all felt like, I didn't think this was a poorly ref team. We just we just weren't prepared to uh, to deal with it as well as they were. Which, yeah, like, is, is, is just a weird thing. Like, I, I, I agree with your point. I just, it's just a weird thing to hear when Bayheim and this team, I feel like, are usually pretty well prepared. And and this this game in particular, like the other ones, like if you lose I, I, to to UNC, to UVA, to Duke, fine. If you lose this game, you lose this game in this fashion. This felt like a lack of preparedness, and like I I'm, I'm I can't give a definitive answer. No one can, other than the guys in the locker room and the coaching staff. But this this game felt like a lack of preparation, and, and for really what Clemson was going to throw at them. And I did feel like it was a weird effort, considering that they had. Um, an extended break, a lo- or at least a longer break than they have for most of this season. Yeah, and you would think that, like, obviously this wasn't a must-win must game. I think we, we still are in a situation where we're pretty good if we win this upcoming ACC tournament game. Um, but, like, they could have locked up their... They could have really locked up their seat if they beat Clemson. That would be a... I think it would have been a two-one yeah. win for us. It, it would have pretty much, like... You, you, there would be no real worries going into Selection Sunday. Now, if we lose to BC or Pitt, like... I think there's very good reason to worry because I think some of our tangential, I don't, I don't know that, you know, we'll definitely be left out, but I think some of our like tangential metrics are, are kind of shaky compared to some of the other teams on the bubble. So hopefully that's not a concern, but you would think like going to this Thompson team, like, all right, let's not even have to worry about that. Cause I know the AC tournament's been such a, a strange event for us over the last, however long we've been in the conference, just get it done at Clemson. That's a really good win if you pick it up. And they just could not hold on even with that seven point, First half and, and like overall, you know, offense wasn't great, but a, a pretty solid effort. Um, just very disappointing, considering you know you think this team would, would kind of understand what's at stake and be able to put things aside and, and really focus. And and I agree, it, they did. There definitely seemed to be a preparation gap, which I think is also a theme of this year. Um, I know we're pretty pretty pro Bayheim in general, but I do think like there are some criticisms for how this team has fallen apart that that he deserves part of, a large part of, as the coach. So. We'll see what happens in, in, in uh, Charlotte, but definitely not the way uh, we were hoping to go into it, um, which has been also a theme in the years that we've ended up making nice NCAA tournament runs and in the years where we haven't. So hopefully this will be more like uh, the two the two uh, second and third weekend runs than, than a couple of the other ones. But overall, not a not a great way to, to finish up the regular yeah, season. Yeah, I completely agree there. I think we'll get into the ACC tournament stuff in the second half here, but you, you brought up a good point too about like, you know, SU starts to drift down the at-large line a little bit. I mean, right now, we'll get to the bracketology stuff in a sec. But, like, SU is now a 10, according to SB Nation's bracketology, which is usually one of the more accurate uh, ones. A lot of people kind of see us as a, as a 9 trending down or a 10. Like, that sounds... Like, w- w- with the play-in games, probably 12 seeds this year, that sounds like you're safely in. But, uh, as I've kind of been saying all year, and I know, like, I'm not I told you selling because I haven't. But at the same time, like SU sat there and, and easily had a chance to play its way in or play its way out. And they're starting to trend towards the latter. 
And, and that's the problem is like, because it's not just about what we do anymore. Like if we beat BC or Pitt, I think, I think it's fine. If we lose to BC or Pitt, now it's not just that. It's, you know, does Clemson win a couple games in the ACC tournament? Does NC State win a couple games in the ACC tournament? Both of those teams have wins against us. Like look at a team like Indiana, look at a team like Oklahoma, Texas, all these like kind of fringe teams. If, if they're able to put some wins together, if there's some bid stealing going on around the country, like... Things things can get really shaky in a hurry once you start trending down to that like ten seed projection, and and that's the situation we've put ourselves in. If we don't pick up at least a win uh, in in the BC uh, pit game, well against whoever wins the BC pit game. Yeah, and, and luckily, yeah, and, and luckily I think that's probably one of the better matchups we could draw up against. Um, but I mean, we've seen this team struggle with BC a lot in recent years. We beat Pitt twice. We beat yeah. both of them twice this year, which is nice. But like we beat Pitt twice this year, but the other one was like a, a total. Uh, well, neither team's a pushover. Like but, yeah, and we've said like even these bottom tier ACC teams are not terrible. So yeah, it's it's definitely not something where we can really take the the foot off the gas because BC we beat by six and eleven. Pitt we beat by nine and what was the other? What was oh uh, and eleven. So yeah, like we beat Clemson like by a similar margin this year, and then they they shellacked us in the second half so there's no no guarantees going into this game um even if i think you know maybe you throw in wake but there aren't that many teams you'd rather see in that first round but it doesn't mean it's going to be a, a cakewalk no I mean, it also underlines and like you know this is what i was saying i've been saying too like 10 acc wins are 10 acc wins however four of those are against bc and Pitt. a fifth is against wake forest if we pull off another win here against bc or Pitt. That's now like six of your 11 wins against ACC competition against the bottom of the barrel in the league. I mean, you throw Miami in there. That's another one. Like, I, I, I'm not saying that the, the tournament committee is going to sit there and really like just ding us for that. But at the same time, like the Louisville and the Duke game are really carrying all the weight here. Yeah. And it doesn't help that Louisville's really falling apart. And Duke, obviously, they're, they're you know, there's the Trey Jones and Tam Reddish thing, which I, I don't think takes away everything about that game. Well, especially now it's Zion. still not. Right. We be, we did beat them with Zion, which is nice, but, you know, it carries a little less weight than it would normally. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we'll see, if we lose in this first game, I think we'll see a lot of probing about our, our resume. If we win, I think we're, we're fine. But, yeah, I, I don't think anyone should be shocked if, like, people really start taking, like, the the, uh, the magnifying glass to what Syracuse has done this year yeah, if we lose. and rightfully so. And, like, and then, you know, that's not just, like, me being a pessimist. That's me being a realist here about the resume and about what it looks like. If you're 19 and 13... Um, and you've got a 10 and 8 record, and most of those wins were against bad teams in the conference. Um, and you also lost some other, like, less than great games. Yeah. And your best non conference win is right. Ohio State, who is also, like, a 10 seed now. Weirdly, like, I think Georgetown's probably helped support <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of teams. Uh, so uh, I, I'm not going to say Oof. go Hoyas, but, but yeah, I can't bring Good myself payment. to do that. But, right. We all know. If, if Georgetown won the Big East and it, like, really helped our resume, that'd be hilarious. Actually, no, it wouldn't, because I don't want Georgetown in the tournament. If they go to the Big East final, like, there are worse things that have happened. And then they could just get stopped out by, like, someone stupid. Yeah, like, uh, like, like let's get, like, DePaul and Georgetown in the, in the Big East final and, like, DePaul. Actually, I don't want that, because I don't want DePaul That's stealing fair. a bit. Let, let Villanova just, they're already in. Like, let Villanova win this again. I don't care. That's their conference now, so. Or, or like, Mark. Or, or, like, Mark. Yeah, I, I'd be fine with that. Um, I know we're getting toward halftime. We'll do a little bracketology. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. 
And we're back to talk um, bracketology. We're looking at SB Nation's uh, bracket projections from today, uh, March 10th. And uh, our friend Chris has the East bracket as one seed Virginia, two seed Tennessee, three seed Purdue, and four seed Kansas State. Um, Syracuse is in this bracket as a 10 seed now. They got knocked down a line after the Clemson loss. Against Wofford, oh. who we... Spent last week dragging, and, and they'll probably beat us yeah. by 20 in the tournament. If this and, and then Chris gave us some helpful information on Twitter uh, about why Wofford might be a little bit better than we thought. Not that they're, I don't think the world beaters, but he at least gave some insight as to how their computer numbers are, are, are doing pretty well and how like the Southern Conference isn't exactly like complete bottom feeder this year with like four or five teams that have good computer numbers. So totally get it. I, I don't really, I don't really want to face Wofford. It just feels like a team that would that would just like. Although it's like kind of like Dayton a couple of years ago, where everyone was freaking out because Dayton had beaten us a couple of years prior, and and I think it was a it was a seven ten right. I think Dayton yes. was seven. Yeah, and then we went and just like torched him, yeah. wiped him off the, the planet, which was nice. But I'm not going to bet on that happening yeah. again. Yeah, so we're going to do this. Yeah, uh, do, do the usual. Uh, okay. okay. I think uh, no, you can I go think, first. Uh, I think I will roll with Virginia. I think they looked they looked. Just really good. Um, obviously, last week's team, they, they had some weird struggles with Louisville, but they put that one away. Um, and I'm just not buying on Maryland or Kansas State or UCF or any of these other teams in the top. Um, and then I'm going to go with Purdue. Uh, I think Purdue is kind of fun under the radar, and then all of a sudden they're, like, winning a share of the Big Ten and uh, have some some really talented players. Uh, I know that everyone wanted to, like, make Matt Painter, like, the greatest coach that's ever lived because he lost four starters. That's what happened in college basketball. But... Um, they have been solid, and uh, I haven't been a big buyer on Marquette. And Tennessee, I think, I, I've been high on Tennessee all year. They're just so up and down. Like, Auburn's not great, and, and losing that game wasn't good. But, of course, they did just come, like, that followed, like, a huge win over Kentucky. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm souring a little bit on them in terms of consistency. So, uh, I'm going to go Virginia over Purdue. Yeah, I'm going to do the same. I think if there's, to be honest, if there is a bracket that Syracuse could make some noise in, it's probably this one in terms of regions uh if we can beat if we could beat Walford I I would love to face Rick Barnes in the NCAA tournament uh the guy squandered more talent than just about any current coach so I I would love to face him in, in a in a potential uh second round game that could you know get us into the Sweet 16 in DC um I don't we do have solid turn history against Rick Barnes right. as well so, so we have that we although I think it's just one game it's, yeah it's one maybe two games we had the fact that um, you know, SU obviously has a great contingent of fans in D.C. Um, if we were able to get through those first couple of rounds, uh, we'd have an interesting game against either Marquette, Purdue in all likelihood. Uh, I think Purdue could beat us. I think Marquette could be a little shakier. Um, in any case, yeah, I'll take Virginia over. Moving on to the uh, fourth uh, region, the Midwest in Kansas City. Got one seed North Carolina, two seed Michigan State. Three seed Houston, four seed Texas Tech. I like UNC out of the top. I can't believe Oklahoma's an eight seed, uh, but whatever. In the other side, I'm taking probably Houston, though that Iowa State game that they could be up against could be pretty tough in the second round. But yeah, I'll, I'll take Houston. I think Michigan State's hot and cold, and I, I do feel like they'll be tested pretty well um, by Buffalo. In that uh, in that potential second round game, I'm 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 gonna go with UNC. I thought they were incredibly impressive against Duke. Again, uh, I think they're really rounding into form. Um, Roy does pretty good work in the tournament generally. Um, I just think they're they are 
I don't know if they're going to be like a bracket sleeper, but I could see them being like a onesie that people don't don't ride as much as they haven't right. talked about that much and end up making a really nice run. Uh, and I'm going to know Houston. Uh, Houston's been really dangerous all year. They've I feel like they've been on the three line the entire time, pretty much like just end to end of the season. Uh, Michigan State, I don't trust. Buffalo, I think uh, it'd be fun, but I just don't think they're quite that good. And then the rest of this, this bottom half doesn't really impress me, so... Michigan State, rather. Um, so, yeah, I'll go uh, UNC over Houston. I will pick the same. It's already two ACC teams. We're only two reasons in. In the uh, second bracket, we've got uh, the West out in Anaheim. Uh, we've got one seed Gonzaga, two seed LSU, three seed Kansas, four seed Florida State. I've got the Zags in a walk up top. And in the bottom, I'm going with Villanova. I'm not happy about it. I'll do Zags as well. I'm going to have them lose to the upstart, uh, very uh, aggressively, uh, just really want to win some games in this. I'm going to go LSU. I'm going to go LSU. I don't know if Will Wade will coach or not. Uh, if I, I really want Will Wade to coach. Uh, I think. Just come in, Just come out in all, just come out in all black. Like, like, I just want LSU to wear all black jerseys for the entire run. Why is LSU doing this like college basketball version of like respectability politics where they're pretending like they care? LSU, you just watched Missouri get absolutely destroyed by the NCAA over something barely, like, just something that no one really cared about. It was a road tutor for all week, like, and, and that's apparently the extent of it. Like, they just got slapped so hard by the NCAA for something ridiculous, and you're going to go and do, like, the whole song, uh, you know, song and dance and, and, and try to... get what, what, what do you think you're going to accomplish by doing this? Just roll the dice out there and see how many games you can win. And I'm not even saying that as, like, anti-NCAA, it's just, the NCAA has proven to you that there is no reason to cooperate with them. They basically, I think they actually said that, like, when, when it, they were asked after the Missouri thing. There's just no, nothing to be gained by cooperating with them, so why don't you just let people coach until you until they have to get fired? Like, it doesn't make any sense. There's just no logical reason for them to not just go for, for broke and see how well they can do, because in the end, it doesn't really matter if he coaches or not, the, the results going to be the same, so... Yeah, um, I, I hope he coaches just, just to show how ridiculous this whole system is. So I'm going to go LSU over Gonzaga because I think it would be one of the funniest results. And uh, go Tigers. Yeah, I uh, admittedly I wanted to pick LSU, but I do think the wheels are going to come off as like the... Oh, that's very possible. They could lose in the... I mean, I'm not going to say they're going to lose to Montana because we've, we've seen that, <laughs> how picking Montana goes uh, firsthand. Um, but like they, LSU versus VCU would be a really funny matchup with Will Wade you know, being former LSU, uh, VCU coach. Like, there are a lot of places where this to come, come apart, but I'm going to pick LSU uh, because I just feel like it'd be entertaining. So Yeah, I'd very much like to pick LSU. I'm going to pick the Zags, unfortunately. I even thought about Villanova as much as I hate them. Yeah, G- give me the Zags over Villanova in that Elite Eight. Um, and then in the uh, last region, the South, uh, based in Louisville, we've got Kentucky, Duke, Michigan, Virginia Tech. These brackets are all so top-heavy. Uh, give me Kentucky in the top. And I'm going to have to go with Duke in the bottom, and then I'm going to take Duke over Kentucky. Uh, yeah, I will throw Kentucky in the top as well. And then, uh, I don't know. I'm starting to buy on, on the Zion conspiracy. I don't know. Actually, no, he's supposed to play in the ACC, so I guess he's going to play. Um, unless, they just like, unless they're pulling with the full AO in this. Um, I'll go Kentucky-Duke. I'll go Kentucky. Uh, I think I've I've been pretty pretty on that whole, like, the rematch will happen and Kentucky gets their revenge. Um, they kind of like Tennessee, like they've been a little inconsistent recently as well, but I think Cal's probably kind of due for a, for a deep tournament run. And 
I just feel like Duke, like, they're just, they're not going to be totally right by the end of the season. It just doesn't feel like they're in the position where they're not like, oh, all of a sudden be healthy and make the deep run. So I'll go UK over Duke. It's fair. I was just trying to avoid picking all one seeds. So your final four, Virginia versus UNC on one side. It was also mine. On the other side, you have LSU versus Kentucky, uh, a little ACC, uh, SEC, you know, matchup. I have the Zags against Duke on the other side. I'll take, just like I did last week, UNC versus Gonzaga in the final, and UNC wins. I will go, I'll draw Virginia over UNC. They've had their number this year, and I will draw Kentucky over LSU, and I'll draw Virginia over Kentucky. All right. So I feel like not a lot's changing for us, mostly because there's really only like five teams that can win the championship this year. That's basically the, yeah, basically the problem here. There, are, there aren't a lot of teams like skying towards, uh, you know, contention. They're all just kind of swi- uh, switching around. It's basically like, oh, do I like Kentucky or or uh, Duke this week or how am I feeling about UNC? So, yeah, it's just there's a very, very clear top tier, I think, this season, and I think there's a huge fall-off like we've talked agreed, about. Agreed, agreed. All right, so why don't we uh, talk a little bit about beer before we uh, move on to some women's basketball and then a, uh, a little ACC tournament talk. Sounds good. Um I've had a fair amount uh, the last couple days. I had, uh, where were we? Oh, okay. Um, I had uh, a double dry hopped uh, Harry Doesn't Mind from Single Cut, one of their many IPA, their, one of their doubles. Um, quite good, as most of their IPA offerings are. Uh, I had a couple things from, or at least one thing from Icarus Brewing in Jersey. Uh, they're Touching the Sun IPA. Uh, it's a triple. It's super juicy. Um, it's pretty good. I haven't had anything from them before, I don't think. Uh, I had uh, Lupulin Vibrations Rotational IPA from Alewife, uh, one of the many uh, New York City breweries, uh, one of their doubles. I thought it was solid. This is the Lemon Drop Edition. Uh, I had a couple things from Wolf Hollow because we had a bunch of cans from them. Their Midnight Dreary, uh, I think that's their Black Lager, which is solid. And then their Brunette's Revenge, which is probably their most well-known thing, uh, their Blonde which is very multi for a blonde. Um, and then I had a Lizard King from Pipeworks, uh, who were out in Chicago. Really solid IPA. A lot of IPAs this week. And then uh, a Hoptologist from Knee Deep, which uh, is down in Georgia, I believe. They're actually uh, out And that was really delicious. I feel like, oh, we've, I feel like we've had this oh. exact conversation. The, the board said, Auburn, oh, Auburn Tal- it was a CA, yeah, not okay. a GA. Okay. Yeah. I- <laughs> uh, so they're out there. I-, I was like, oh, I haven't heard of this Georgia brewery before. Nope, they are uh, Auburn, Correct. California. Also, a place I didn't know existed, so that didn't contribute. Although, I don't know if there's an Auburn, Georgia. It probably is. <laughs> there's an Auburn, like, in every southern state, I feel like. Um, so, yeah, uh, another pretty heavy 9% IPA. Uh, so, a lot of double IPAs for me this week, which I didn't intend, but uh, they were all pretty good. So, uh, the Hoptologist I thought was really interesting. Um, really interesting uh, flavor profile there. Yeah, I've had I've had that one a bunch of times. They uh, I don't know if they still make it, but they back when Belgian IPAs were, like, really big, um, they had a Belgo Hoptologist that was super good, too. Um, that I've had quite a few times. On my end, I think I also had a bunch of IPAs this week. Um, I had over, I was over at King Harbor uh, Brewing, which is nearby. Had a Loopy Lines uh, IPA from them, which was actually one of the probably best things I've ever had from them. So I had their uh, Casual Friday, kind of like session IPA type deal. also had a Barrel Age Share This Imperial Stout from the brewery. Had, a, I think, one of the last cans of Booming Rollers from Modern Times that I had around the house. Had a Limelight IPA from Boomtown. It's up in the Arts District of LA. Uh, I was over down at Ballast Point in Long Beach earlier today. So I had their uh, Passing Haze, their uh, Hazy IPA, 
And it's only 4.25%, and I wish more hazy IPAs were around that mark instead of where they're usually at, because uh, I felt like that was actually a really pleasant drink. Um, I had Ballast Point's uh, red wine barrel-aged Russian Imperial Stout that was really good. Um, and then there were uh, Blonde Fetter that was a really good uh, sour ale. Yeah, that was uh, that was the weekend of drink. I'm looking through uh, our season records, and I... We should probably correct this before someone yells at us. Rick Barnes was obviously the head coach at Providence for a long time, and it looked like we were 9-4 and four against him at Providence uh, from 88 to 94. There you go. Rick Barnes, not good at coaching. Heard it here first. Um, before we get into the ACC tournament stuff, just wanted to talk quick about uh, the women's basketball team. Uh, they did manage to upset Miami um, in the, I guess the quarterfinal um, of the ACC tournament down in Charlotte. Uh, Greensboro in this case. Unfortunately, they ran into the buzzsaw that is Notre Dame in the semifinal and lost 91 to 66. Didn't go too well. Uh, we didn't really expect it to, though. Uh, nonetheless, SU probably played themselves up into a three seed. We're going to talk a little bit more about this on next week's episode. But yeah, I, I think SU played themselves into a three seed. It seems like uh, ESPN believes as much as well. The uh, bracketology in general is pretty high on uh, on ACC teams. If SU gets a three, at least according to their projections, they'd be in UConn's region, which goes through Albany. But the first two rounds would be in Syracuse. They could potentially face either Buffalo or UCLA in the second round if they can beat who's projected right now is Maine. Or I think is Maine. I don't know if they're uh, the American East. America East, excuse me, tournament was this week, but. I wouldn't love facing Buffalo. I know why they're there, but I wouldn't love facing Buffalo, if only because it kind of takes away some of the home court advantage for SU. Nonetheless, if they were able to get through that, marginally like winnable, depending on who gets through. I mean, Mississippi State's really good, but other than that, I think like Central Michigan, K-State, Radford, all reasonably beatable. So yeah, Syracuse has a pretty good shot uh, to get to at least the Sweet 16 here, if not further. Yeah, I think with this women's tournament, like getting away from the like four or five line, so you can uh, push back playing one of the one seeds as long as possible. I know that sounds very obvious. With, with women's basketball like, in particular, in the men's tournament, it's such a crapshoot. Like, right in general, um, just the women. There's such a giant gap, and I with like the Yukons and the Notre Dames, um, you just don't want to face them until you absolutely have to. So getting up to the three line, I think, would be would be nice. Uh, not that I know that much about the two seeds in general, but I will take my shot on some of those versus. Facing uh, facing UConn or, or, or Notre Dame or whomever in the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, like no one's going to upset UConn, so playing, yeah, you know, so avoiding playing them until a potential Elite Eight matchup, and maybe hoping that someone can upset a Mississippi State. Um, that's a much better alternative, and that's that, that's what got us to a Final Four a few years ago, where you know we didn't have to face UConn until a championship game. Our one seed in our region got knocked out, like. They're, 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 we we got some help, but at the same time, like that's really just what the bracket is. Like it's it's all depending on matchups, and really, if Syracuse can find a way to avoid relying too heavily on three point ball, um, if Emily Engsler comes back, and it seems like she's set to come back, if uh, Tiana Magakakia is healthy, uh, she'll also obviously put up a better game than she had against you know Notre Dame. Uh, I, I like our odds here to to get to at least the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, but we'll see. We're going to talk plenty more about the team and uh, and their potential bracket projection next week. Yeah, their their selections on Monday. Yes, right? they... they have selection Monday, so they'll uh, they'll do that yeah. the day after the men's one. But then they pretty much have like a week off now, right? I was saying this a couple weeks ago, or not a couple weeks ago, a couple days ago when they were playing Miami. Like 
if you if you haven't tuned to the, the women's team all year, A, this is a very, very fun one, but B, like, a couple years ago, we were both we made the Final Four in both. Like, it was so fun to have those games, like, offsetting every couple days and being able to follow both at once, I thought was a, a really fun experience. So hopefully we can get something similar going this year. Yeah, same. I mean, I remember uh, when I was down in Houston for the Final Four and, like, we had the huge Syracuse watch party for the women's team after the men's team lost. And uh, yeah, it was a great time. A lot of a lot of people were still down there. I mean, obviously, if you're going to make plans to be down in the final four, you just kind of say, "I'm going to be here for the full thing," and you don't you don't say, "I'm going to go to just the semifinal," because if your team makes the final, you're going to be kicking yourself that you didn't make plans to stick around. So yeah, it was it was fun. Hopefully, we have something similar uh, again this year. But a uh, quick word from our sponsor once again, um, and then we'll jump into some ACC tournament stuff. And we're back uh, talking ACC tournament. Dan Syracuse is a sixth seed. They'll be playing the winner of BC Pitt, as we uh, mentioned. They're in the late, late spot, the 9 or 9.30 start, uh, 9.30 in all likelihood. Could be even worse if, uh, if there's an overtime game beforehand. And if they can get through the first couple games, on the first game, then they'll face Duke, the three seed. And uh, while we don't want to... F- now we're like... We want to face Duke, but if we had to choose between facing UVA, facing uh, the Tar Heels, or facing Duke, I think I'd rather face Duke. Yeah, I feel like there's reason... I mean, if the team plays well, I think there's reason to be optimistic against any of those teams, but um, Duke, we played really hard once, and then we beat them once. Um, Obviously, uh, after the game against UNC, Coach Tay said he expects Zion to play uh, in the ACC tournament. We will see if he actually does. Um, If they're going to hold him out even longer... It will be against us, so uh, I guess that's a lucky spot to be in. Because like, I almost assume like if he doesn't play in the first game, he's not going to play at all yeah. in the ACC. Um, so we'll find out. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think we can beat Duke. Like we, we did it earlier this year. Obviously, Reddish wasn't playing, but like we've seen Reddish come in and out of games. He had a huge in UNC, but there are games where he's very quiet. Um, Trey Jones is out for a bunch of it. Um, but I didn't think Trey made the same impact in the second game as he was in the first, although he's still very good and you want him out there. So, like, you can say, and it's valid to say that, like, Syracuse did not face full-strength Duke, but, like, you know, we, we, we've we seen we've seen everything Duke has to offer, if not, even not if all at once. So, yeah, I mean, I think if we be if we take care of business in the NC 11 or 14 um, and then, you know, get a pretty good, uh, have a pretty good showing against Duke, um, I think we'll all be, like, relatively content with that. Uh, and if we beat Duke, then then I think a lot of us will start forgetting about, like, this whole 2-4 and four finish to the season, and we'll start uh, celebrating moving up uh, to something stupid, like the seventh line, probably, <laughs> if we beat just if we win two games in the ACC. So, yeah, uh, I'm not going to, like, forget about it. I mean, you're going to have to face... In the ACC this year, you're going to have to face someone someone really good in the quarterfinal, um, even Vontek, like... There's no escaping a good team, so let's uh, let's let's hopefully have a, a pretty solid showing and and but more importantly, get into uh, get into the tournament first. Yeah, I think that's obviously the the main focus here. And, and with luck, you know, you beat BC or Pitt, and BC being kind of dangerous at times. Uh, we've I just think we've avoided um, one of those like super hot shooting games uh, from them that that they sometimes spring on people. Uh, they're the 11 seed here. They didn't have a terrible season, to be honest. And like, if everybody had come back, they probably would have been like one of the top like seven or eight teams in the conference this year. Um, instead, not so much. Uh, they'll once again be bound for a uh, postseasonless um, postseason, I guess. <laughs> if we're looking for a term for it, 
Dan, I'm going to put a 75% chance on us beating the winner of BC and Pitt. Maybe a little bit higher. I think that's fair. I think I saw... I think that's right in line what I saw from uh, Medamid Kempom. I think they had us like a 76%. Uh, it was somewhere between 70 and 80% chance of us making it to the to the quarterfinals. So I think that's pretty fair. Um, you know, we're 4-0 against them. None of those games was like super scary. None of them was like a huge blowout. I, I, I'd say around 75 is probably yeah, I mean, fair. as long as here he's had, had his own strikes, I think at that po- this point, this is the intangible. And like, like obviously, we don't know how much... Um, you know, the, the tragedy from a few weeks ago, like how much this is impacting, like how hands-on Jim might be in practice. I know typically he's not all that hands-on in general. So like, I would think that it wouldn't change a ton, um, if he's, you know, kind of like taking a little bit of a step back, but at the same time, like, I, I'm sure that like, this is, I'm sure that that's something weighing on everybody, at least a little bit. And I'm not like looking for excuses. I'm more just looking for like, if we're seeing that there's a certain preparation that's not there, that could be a factor. At the same time, though, first half of these games, Syracuse looked pretty damn good. Yeah, we just need to, to, to continue it out. Like, we we know there there's a team in there that can be very competitive against uh, pretty much everyone right. in this conference. I mean, we've we've played at least like, and and I I hate to like sound like we're we're really picking for for positives here, but we've played good stretches against every good team in this conference, aside from Virginia Tech, really. Um, it's just really frustrating to see like the bottoming for this team is so bad and it, it takes away from everything good that they do. Um, so if we can just avoid like, it, like obviously you're going to have bad stretches in college basketball pretty much every game. It, it's kind of inevitable. Um, but if we could just avoid them being so, so bad, like this team would be, would be fine. It wouldn't be, it's not as good as I think we, we would hope they were coming into the year, but I think this would be a, a pretty consistent, solid team. And we wouldn't have to like worry about this at all. It's just, the, the bad stretches are just horrendous and, and worse than I can remember. I mean, what was the UVA one was like special, like special in terms of how ridiculous it was. But when you're outstored by like 30 points in a 10 minute span or something, and that's obviously another level, but it's just untenable to like win close games when, when you have a, a, like a, a quarter of the game where you are just completely digging yourself into the, the biggest hole imaginable. So like. It's 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 been almost every bid loss we've had this year. Vatech, obviously, they, they came out really hot, but we got ourselves back in it, and then and then got the door sh- uh, slammed on us. Florida State was close, and then they went on a crazy run. NC State, same thing. The Duke game, not really. Duke, I think, wasn't wasn't ever like you know we we didn't have like one run where they just totally blew us out, but they just kind of systematically beat us. But every other game, we like were in it, and then just this one. Horrible, horrible stretch happens, and if we can just avoid that and find a way to stem the tide and, and find some adjustments or something, like I think we'd be talking much differently about this team. But that's just been the, the one thing this year that's that's really caused us to, to have these games like get away from us. Yeah, yeah, I would agree, and I think you know, as much as I like, I don't want to pretend like we have a great chance to beat Duke, but I do you think if we have any chance, you're going to know in that BC Pitt game pretty uh, pretty early. I th- think if Syracuse looks focused, comes out firing, and then like is able to close them out, th- then that's a Syracuse team that has a shot to maybe knock off Duke. If, if Syracuse really like barely ekes by a BC or a Pitt, then I don't think it necessarily stops us from making the NCAA tournament, but I think it definitely stops us from beating a team like Duke, uh, no matter who's on the floor, and probably doesn't speak too highly of, of what happens next in the NCAAs. But, you know, again... Like you've said, I've said, we, we, we've seen Syracuse teams look 
terrible at the end of the end of the regular season, and then somehow turn on the Jets. Uh, you know, once we get to the NCAA's, I mean, that two and four streak does include two di- two separate trips to the Final Four uh, and a trip to the Sweet Sixteen, as well as a twenty five game winning streak in there at another point. So like the program's the program isn't falling off a cliff um, just because it's it's closing these seasons poorly. Um, but I, I do think in, in a microcosm, I do think that that struggling against Pitt or BC and struggling to close that team out doesn't really speak too well for what happens next against a team like Duke. Yeah, we just need to find the like the team that beat Louisville like very handily this year. And I know Louisville hasn't been great in the last like still a tournament weeks, team, but it's still a talented. It's still a tournament team. It's a talented team. It's not a team that you would think we would beat by twenty. And we just that game, we had everything clicking. It wasn't like a great offensive performance. We scored sixty nine points, but like we, I don't remember a point in that game where it didn't feel like we were going to win. Um, and it'd just be nice to put together if we put together one of those wire to wire performances in BC or Pit, like you said, and we win by twenty to twenty five points. Like I will feel significantly better going into to Duke. And I almost think that's, like, one of the nice things about these games being close uh, now, just, like, going into Clemson, we thought we had a nice break and we could, like, rest up. I, I'd almost rather, like, have a really good game against BC and Pitt and just turn around and play another one. And hopefully hopefully our team can just get focused and go on a little bit of run here and, and do the same with the NCAAs where it seems like we we definitely uh, benefit a bit from the quick Yeah, I agree. I mean, granted, I think Duke is already prepping for us. Um, and obviously, Coach K knows Bayheim better than anybody, um, as far as basketball coaches go. I, I, I think that yeah, I, I'd love to see a twenty-point win or something close uh, against the BC or a Pitt, just so that like we can just bury the memory of the Virginia game and and just move on. Because I feel like that's kind of part of it. It's like when you deal with something like that, you kind of get a little shell shock, and maybe that you know that mental carrier. I mean, look at look at Louisville and, and what happened. You know, with the comeback that Duke had against them, they still look shell shocked, and that was weeks ago. So, yeah, I, I think that that a big game would really be helpful if we have any chance. Um, as we wrap up here, though, Dan, who is your pick to win the ACC tournament? Um, let me look at the bracket again. I kind of feel like it's going to be. I I, I think I picked Virginia to win the NCAA's. I'm going to take UNC to win the ACC. All right. Yeah. I'll. Uh, no, Sorry. About that. Something dropped. Totally fine. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I got Virginia in the championship game against I think in North Carolina. I think it's going to be pretty chalky, to be honest. I'll I'll take Virginia to win. I'll take Virginia to win the ACC tournament. I'll take North Carolina still to win the national championship. Yeah, I mean, I, I picked UVA to beat UNC in the in the final four, so I just feel like they're not going to be there four times. So I will take them to win. To uh, to win three of the four, uh, but I'll, I think UNC will get hot, and you know they they, they know the ACC tournament quite well. So yeah, uh, and they'll probably have the, the crowd advantage as they usually do. Them or NC State, because realistically there aren't actually that many Duke fans in North Carolina. Uh, so yeah, that, that'll be all my right. Time. All right. Okay. Well, we'll be chatting with everyone next after uh, after Syracuse. Maybe they don't lose, but if after Syracuse loses. We'll have another episode up, maybe not right after, but shortly thereafter. Um, in the meantime, let's uh, let's get excited for the ACC tournament. Uh, we got James down there for uh, for the Wednesday through Sunday stretch, so we'll see how long he actually needs to be covering Syracuse. Hopefully for a while. And Dan, anything else before we uh, sign off here? No, let's uh, let's hope we get a get ourselves resituated here and 
and poised for another deep tournament run, and then no one will really care about how the rest of the season went because college basketball's unfair, <laughs> and that's how it Agreed, agreed. Uh, so that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcasts. Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink. Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on wherever else you subscribe or listen to podcasts, and go Orange. Go Orange.